Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Thank you for joining the conversation on Colloquium. This episode is brought to you by Excelsior Capital, an investment platform focused on democratizing private equity by providing individuals access to direct opportunities. To learn more about the firm, please visit excelsiorgp.com and connect with Brian on LinkedIn. Welcome to the conversation on Colloquium. Today, I've got Bob DePasquale with me. Bob, how are you doing today? I'm doing great, Brian. I'm excited to be here, ready to, ready to have a good talk. Yeah, absolutely. I appreciate it. So I want to get into the new platform you launched and really dig pretty deep there. But before we do it, maybe give people a little bit of background on yourself, context on, on kind of what your professional journey has looked like. You got it. I spent 12 years in working in the broker-dealer world in our industry, and you're probably familiar with that. I was actually recruited into it, and believe it or not, I have a master's degree in broadcast journalism. So you're probably thinking, okay, maybe you should have been doing broadcasting this whole time. And you know how they say, you never really study what you end up doing. And I got recruited into the industry, spent 12 years working for a great organization, loved working for them, really cut my teeth, learned just about everything I know about the financial industry, working with families and and really helping them with their legacies. And ultimately, my business partner and I, what better time than to start a new business than during a pandemic? And we decided to transition. I got the entrepreneurial itch. I, I looked at the way that our world and our industry was working, and I was really, really motivated to communicate with people in a more modern way and use the tools that we have. I, I actually just uh, earlier today, I was on a call with the CEO of an, of an organization that does uh, you know, financial technology. And I just love that world. I really wanted to be involved in it and use it for positive because I think there's some technology these days that tends to distract us. And part of a book I'm writing is about helping people make wise decisions and use technology effectively. So I really wanted to do that and, and initiate impact. My business partner and I started the organization recently and we are kind of knee deep in working with families and, and, and making that transition and, and 
making it a deeper relationship. And that's really important, I think, in our industry to make sure that you understand the purpose and legacy behind a family and what they're trying to accomplish. So I want to get into the BD space a little bit. Sure. It sounds like it was a positive experience for you, but that world is changing pretty drastically. Could you give people maybe who aren't familiar the difference between a broker-dealer and an RIA and, and what some of the implications might be in that space? Definitely. For me, the broker-dealer experience really was amazing. But I will say this. I felt like I was in my own little world or my own big world. I didn't know anything about RIAs and wirehouses and different ways that you could provide service in our in the financial industry. And so because, because of that, I really was one-track mind for many, many years. And it really, really taught me about that, that middle ground relationship there because a BD or a broker-dealer is an organization who is kind of acting as the middle person to try to help connect the consumer and the, uh, and the other investment services that are out there. And, and it really taught me a lot of different lessons about that communication factor. But what I realized is ultimately, because when you work for a, an organization that's brokering and dealing, you really run into a lot of tough situations because you have products and services that, the, that they offer as a broker and also products and services that they offer as a dealer. So it really, <laughs> it put me in an interesting situation sometimes. So the RIA space, which stands for Registered Investment Advisor, is a different way of licensing your organization. And you can offer really, there's a broader range and a deeper level of service that I feel that you can provide. And you're not tied to that kind of that broker dealer box, if you will. And not that that broker dealer box is bad, but for certain organizations, uh, certain families, the RIA space, I felt, was just a better way to serve them because now we could be a little bit more comprehensive in what we're trying to do. And there are various levels of fiduciary obligations as well, right? Which can get really complicated in terms of best interest versus fiduciary, et cetera. And that space has come under a microscope recently, mm-hmm. the last few years. So I, I do think on the consumer side, even some very affluent people who are in the financial services space don't really appreciate or understand the differences there. Um, although I do think it's changing, right? Education and and content creation, people are more aware of it, but, you know, s- certainly drastically changed in the last 10 years. Yes. And the, 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 you mentioned best interests versus fiduciary. I've never had a, actually, no, I shouldn't say this. One time I had one person ever ask me on the phone, are you a fiduciary? And I still, though, I believe that people want fiduciaries, even if they don't actually know what the word is, without familiar with the laws and there's regulations that have come out more recently. And while doing what's in the best interest of your customer is valuable, I think the fiduciary standard is very important to me. And I, I do hold a designation that requires us to be fiduciaries. But when I was working for my previous organization, they weren't required to be a fiduciary. So it's kind of a unique situation here where, especially when that one person asked me, because I had to try to explain to them, and it almost made it more confusing, which was underserving the the consumer, if you ask me, but I try to have I had to explain to them that the organization I worked for, we were not held to that fiduciary standard where we had to do what is in the best interest of the of the client. We had to make sure that we are helping them make the wisest possible decision they possibly could. But I was held to that standard based on my certified financial planner designation. So we need to do a better job of explaining that to the public. I think it's vitally, vitally important in the RIA space. Most people are held to that standard. Yeah, I agree. I think education is key as more and more consumers are leaving wirehouses, leaving larger banks and going to more boutique service providers like yourself. There's a lot of options in the marketplace. And then I think 
leading with education and content is going to be key to helping people navigate those choices. And so along those lines, what was the motivation or the catalyst or the, the key moment where you said, I need to do something else. I need to do my own thing. I need to leave this firm that, that I've had a lot of success with. I never consider myself a creative person. I was always a good, so I was a good leader. I think at least you have to ask the people I led, but I, I was kind of a grinder. It was listen to you know, when I was back playing sports, when I was in college and high school, it was do what coaches say, work really hard. Academic, same concept, study, do as best as you can, try to try to get the best marks that you possibly can. Come into the business, work there for years, but I'd say the first six years or the first half of my career, I thought very much similarly. Just do what they tell me to do, work as hard as I can, and I'll be successful. And I did have a little bit of success. But that kind of back half, that back half of six years there of my career, I started thinking a little bit more like, oh, it would be cool to own my own business. Now, I had no idea really what that entailed. But during the pandemic, early in the pandemic, actually, and to give you a little context, my life was really turned upside down. My wife and I have family that lives in China, and we were visiting them during all that was going on in Wuhan. And we didn't know <laughs> we were over in China, traveling around China, based their home, their home was in Shanghai. And we came home, we're terribly ill. We didn't think anything of it. We thought it was just our typical traveling, you know, you're sick, whatever. And I don't get sick like that. I was, I was laid up. A couple of weeks go by, or a month or so goes by, the holidays are over. And then all of a sudden, the information about the pandemic comes out. My, my brother-in-law, sister-in-law, and their three kids got the, basically the last flight. Actually, my brother-in-law literally was the last flight out of Shanghai. And they came to Florida. <laughs> and my mother-in-law, who lives in Michigan, was like, well, I'm not going to not come see my family that's home from overseas. And my mom was living with us at the time because she had sold her house in the transition. So there were nine of us packed in my little house. <laughs> it was absolutely nuts. And they're all teachers. The only ones who are not teachers or students were me and my mom. So at any given time, there was some kind of Zoom classroom going on in every room in my house. We don't have enough room for nine people. I tell you that because it was so hectic and I had to learn how to run my business for my house. And that somewhere along the lines of that early pandemic period, it clicked in my mind that all of the ancillary stuff that we put so much value in and spend so much money on, like having an office and these different services and making this amazing customer experience really was not important, not what people really needed the most. They needed efficiency and the best advice we could possibly give them. So somewhere along the lines, I, who was just my a fellow employee at the time, I looked at Stacy and I said, I think we can do a better job of this. And that's, that was it. That clicked in our mind and that, that kind of got the ball rolling that we could create a virtual family office firm. So let, let's break that down. What is your definition of a family office? Deep question. So for me, the, the, try, the, try to, the type of firm that we're trying to run is we're trying to provide modern financial management for purpose-driven families. And so I know there is no perfect definition of a family office, but for us, is we want to help a family define their mission and purpose first. What is most important to them? And I think you, maybe not you, but I've found that a lot of people are surprised that families don't have this. They have a sense of professionals in their lives that they've needed because their neighbor, their friend, their colleague, the other business owner has that professional in their life just because you're supposed to when you have those sort of issues. For us, we want to define the purpose first and then help them gather those professionals and create a team of people that will be able to manage their finances as efficiently and in a modern way as possible so that they can care about and spend the most time on the causes that mean the most to them. 
So that's not a definition. That was more of an explanation. <laughs> well, there's uh, an a, there's an adage in the family office world that when you meet one family office, you've met one family office, right? And and yeah. I think it, it's probably hackneyed, but it's true, certainly for our situation as well. And so I'm always curious to hear people's definition of that. And I like that one because for my personal one is, you know, a corpus of assets meant to maintain a quality of life over multi-generations and avoid paying taxes, which is kind of how I think about it. But that equates to a purpose driven right there has to be there has to be something beyond just the money itself right it has to serve unknown beneficiaries in the future and and that you know can take various forms but i like your definition you know just as much and and i've heard you speak about the corpus of assets and ultimately avoid paying taxes so that you can you can maintain as much of it as possible and that's certainly the technical aspect of it i will just say this though the families that come to us who have a desire and a purpose and a cause that's beyond that that family business that created that wealth or wh- whatever it might be, those tend to be the best fit. Those who come to us and people that come to us and say, hey, you know, if you can get me 5% on this asset for the rest of my life and for my the next generation, then I'll be happy. That's usually not a good fit. That doesn't mean that those people don't need great service and there's nothing wrong with that. It's just, I found that it doesn't seem to be a good fit for us. So our personal definition or the way we run our business, we don't really honestly talk about assets for the first couple of, I mean, it just, it's something that, that is vitally important to the success of the family's legacy, but it doesn't give them direction. And you, you've, you've already mentioned it a few times and it's on your website, but you talk about leveraging technology, technological advances, you know, mm-hmm. mo- modernity as a concept that you incorporate within a family office, white glove service. What does that actually look like in practice? What, what it's designed to do once again is to make it efficient as possible for them and hope, hopefully as efficient as possible for us as well. But what it looks like is it enables them to communicate within the family and without the family as efficiently as possible. So if they need information for us, there's quarterly reporting for the business coming up, or there's a major family change and trying to, something's being, an event is being organized for a cause that they care about. They should not have to go jump through numerous hoops to get that information. There should be one main place where they can go to get all that information. And if that means they have to either call us or contact us, that's great. Anyone on our team can find the information immediately. But in the highest level of the best efficiency is that they have technology that they can access immediately. Everyone accesses stuff on their phone right away right now. So modern technology should enable them to make decisions, or excuse me, find information to make decisions without having to take two weeks to do it. And I just got off the phone in the conversation earlier today too, second conversation I'm remembering today about a horrible client experience that someone had where they met with their, their, their financial planner or wealth manager, if you will. And the wealth manager, very, very intelligent, wise, uh, wise person, great team, well, well-known organization. But what they had to do, that they, they finished the meeting and then they got an email and there was seven Seven, count them, seven different platforms that they had to create a user login for. I mean, you had to go and figure out how to aggregate your accounts. You had to link your bank accounts. You had to put your investment account in there. Then you had assets held away that you had to link to another platform. Then there was a platform for estate planning. And it just was not efficient. That's not modern to me. That's technologically cool, but not modern. Yeah. And that's the efficiency element that you were talking about, right? How, you know, you can have a lot of cool bells and whistles in tech. But if they don't all work together and they're inefficient, what's the point? Yeah, you can't get information quickly to keep up with stuff. You know, the the book that I'm working on is talking about people making decisions based on their habits that they have in other parts of their life. So, for example, 
when you want to buy a TV, right, you probably don't take that much time to evaluate what TV you want to buy. You see an ad on social media, it chases you around the internet because of ad targeting, and you make a pretty quick decision. But when you're making major family life decisions, you can't do that, but you want to. Your brain is used to working in that way. So it's a horrible client experience for people to have to jump through a million hoops to make very important decisions. In fact, they want to spend less time and have less brain fog over all the ancillary stuff. They want to spend as much time as possible making this decision. So the technology is very, very important. Yeah, it's been a game changer for our business as well. Being able to leverage technology for investor relations and reporting and marketing has allowed us to scale really efficiently. And it's been great for me as a sponsor, general partner, manager, and also it's been great for my investors. So I've become a huge proponent of, of getting as much advanced tech as you can within the corporation or platform. Mm -hmm. Now, you have impact in the name of your company. For those of you listening audio only, there's a poster behind him that says, you know, speaking of impact, mm -hmm. what is your definition of impact within this concept? And what role does it play within your company? Impact is, is something that is not measured. Impact is something that is felt and experienced. I believe strongly that we all have gifts and talents that can make the world a better place. I didn't always believe that. I've been through some interesting experiences, to say the least, in my life. And I can more than willing to share that story. But I want to answer your question first. I think that it's we need to be good stewards of the resources that we've provided. And the way that you determine if you're doing that is if you're making an impact. If there's people on the other side of it who are benefiting and you can see and you know that they're benefiting. It's not just the, there's a report that you're benefiting. You didn't just say, oh, well, I donated a bunch of money and they it created a thousand meals for a bunch of hungry kids. That's a measurement. I want to know that the kids actually ate the meals and they felt good about it. They were happy about it. It made their lives better. It made them healthier. They were able to go to school that day, not hungry. That's impact. And the podcast, speaking of impact podcast that you talked about, was actually started prior to initiate impact of the organization. Now, they both say impact. They're absolutely related in concept, but they were started for different reasons and in different purposes. They've just kind of collided here more recently. And it makes me feel really good because I feel like we are making a positive so let's go a little deeper. You've alluded to this both on the pre-call and, and today. What's that personal journey been like for you? And how does that, I'll use your word, impact mm -hmm. the vision and the direction of the firm? When I was a kid, a, a young a boy, my family moved to Florida. We were kind of like the black sheep of the family. Everyone left New York and they came down to Florida. It was a great life. No complaints. Grew up in a melting pot. Spoke pretty good Spanish. Hablo un poquito espanol for any Spanish listeners out there. I had a great time in my own life. But at a certain point, you say, you know what? I want to try something new. I spent my whole life. I didn't travel that much when I was younger. Pretty much lived in Florida my whole life. So I had an opportunity to go back to New York to go to college, play football. Ended up actually playing lacrosse there too. Just I was on top of the world. You're an 18-year-old invisible kid. Uh, excuse me, invincible kid. <laughs> invisible. Probably invisible too. But I felt invincible. I, you couldn't take me down. So I was up there for training camp right before my freshman year of college. Now, there's no one on campus but the athletes because school hasn't started yet. It's not like colleges that nowadays where kids go like even before they're done with high school. <laughs> I was actually the only, you know, maybe a couple hundred of us on campus. And 
you know, you get up early for training camp in the morning. Well, one day I, you know, I, I kind of came up lame and I thought I had an injury. Like I thought I pulled my groin. Now, if you ever pulled your groin muscle, that's got to be one of the most uncomfortable things. You don't realize how much you use that muscle. And I had to do these training exercises to kind of rehab type of stuff. And if you can imagine a stool, a three-wheeled stool in maybe 20 yards by 10-yard training room. And a training room in college is a little bit different than it is in high school. There's like hundreds of people up there, six in the morning, all these trainers and athletes and trying to get stuff done. And part of the challenge of that exercise was dodging all these people. And I was sliding the stool with no hands, just my feet across the floor. And one day after I'm in there for like two weeks, the, the tra head trainer stands up and it's like commotion. It's craziness in the morning. And for some reason, it got quiet. And he stands up and he's like, and he called, uh, they called me Bobby. He's like, Bobby, what are you doing? You got to get back on the field. Like, get out of here. You, you, your groin is fine by now. And I was like embarrassed, right? You this 18-year-old kid, you think you're invincible. And here's the head trainer is calling you out for being a weakling. Anyway, we had a more of a private meeting later on. I told him there's something wrong. He sends me to the doctor, series of tests. My parents were supposed to come up for my first college game. And that was a Thursday they were coming up. I had a post-op type of appointment with one of my doctors. And my parent, my mom called me right after I got out of that appointment, like immediately said, hey, we're here. We know that you're not playing in the, they, they knew that I wasn't playing in the game at that point because I had this injury, but they're like, all right, we'll see you at your uncle's house. We're headed over there, my mom's brother. And I was like, wait, I was like, mom, I just got out of the appointment. And she's like, well, how'd it go? And I was like, well, the doctor said I have cancer. And she was like, what? And I could hear my dad on the other line, like screaming, like he knew something was wrong. So we went back to my uncle's house. We met, shed a bunch of tears, figuring out what's going on in my life. All of a sudden, I, you know, I was pretty ill. And a couple of days went by. It was a blur. Saturday, the day that was supposed to be my first game that I wasn't playing, my uncle's best friend came over to the house and handed my parents a set of keys. And my, my parents were like, what are you doing? And he's like, well, I know I've never met you before, but your, your brother, Susan, my mom's name, is my best friend in the world. I can't imagine what you're going through right now. Just take the car, whatever you need. He's there for 15 minutes. He leaves. Never, you know, we just, he just left. He gave us the car. Monday, the following Monday, I took my first college class because my oncologist, at this point, I had an oncologist. And he said, well, you can't just do nothing. You got to, you know, you have to do something with your life while you're going through these treatments, whatever we figure out to do. So went to a bunch of bunch of tests and doctors later that day, second day, got up, second college class, went fine, came out of class, and I'm in the cafeteria. And do you remember those like tube TVs that would like hang in the corner of a public building? And I'm watching the news and I'm sitting there, I'm eating like a breakfast burrito or whatever, and a plane hits the Twin Towers. And I was like, oh, that's crazy. That's a horrible thing. So I'm calling up my dad and said, hey, you watching the news? He's like, yeah, 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 I'm watching the news. And bam, all of a sudden, the second plane hit the other tower. And he's like, oh, you better come back to your uncle's house now. Something's wrong. Hopped in the car. Now, I have a master's degree in broadcast journalism. I worked in radio for a couple of years. I will never, ever again in my life listen to AM radio for nine straight hours. But I drove from the school to my uncle's house, normally a 15-minute drive, but it took me nine hours. And I was watching what was going on in the distance and listening to it on radio. And it was the most amazing, unbelievable experience of my life. I ran out of gas in my uncle's neighborhood. We pushed the car into the driveway and it was just like craziness. Like we could not believe what was happening. We couldn't get a hold of my uncle who was on business in Denver the night before. Finally, five, six PM rolls around. My aunt gets a hold of my uncle. He's okay. Everything's fine. But we found out that Tim 
his best friend who gave us the car was in the towers and perished in the morning. So needless to say, I my life went from like this invincible dude, like 18-year-old, this is the coolest thing, life is great, to being flipped upside down. What that taught me was you have to be considering what are the things that you have in life that are great all the time. You, you must always be grateful for what you have because you never know where it can go. And it took me two years to figure this out. Now, this is a very detailed story. To wrap it up, at that point, two years later, so it took me two years to kind of go through a post-traumatic type of stress thing. I thought I just powered through. I was determined to be the best cancer patient. And I actually have more stories about the process. But the key note is it took me two years to figure this out, that I needed to take advantage of the things that I had been given, the positive things in the world. So when I took the job at the broker dealer before, I always told myself I wanted to do that. And eventually I came to the point where I felt like I could do more. That's part of the reason why we started a company. And I think helping people realize what I realized in my own personal life has been the biggest, most powerful motivation since then. And so that is why I feel like it's extremely important to help people make a positive impact. Because whether you're a family with $100 million or you're a family with $1,000, there's something that you can do to make the world better for the rest of us. So steward those resources. It's a heavy story, man. Yeah, it's hard to believe 20, about 20 years ago at this point. So Well, and you're, you're, you're healthy now though? Yes, I, from a cancer perspective, yes. I, there's some things that, have, that I've dealt with since then, but nothing compared to that. That was an amazingly confusing time for me. But I look back on it now and I know there's reasons why I went through that. I mean, I know for a fact. I also know that there's things that were in place at that time in my life that I would never have been able to get through on my own. And that's why that two-year period there afterwards is really tough. So I'm very healthy now. I think the biggest complaint, I actually just got a result more uh, recently, my esophagus has problems contracting. So I'd say my biggest complaint, and it could be a result of that, some nerve damage or things, we're not really sure, uh, but that's my biggest complaint. So there's occasionally stuff doesn't get into my stomach, but honestly, that's not that big of a deal. Well, and, and I think that the term that comes to mind would be perspective, right? And mm-hmm. and within the family office space, and I talked to a lot of the, it's interesting the way you formatted the story because people often ask me, well, how can I pitch families or how can I get them to convert to be investors, et cetera? And I'm like, you're not going to like this answer, but the best answer is empathy. And you understand that even though they might have a lot of zeros in the bank account, there's still people and families and people and families have problems. It doesn't mean that they don't have addiction issues or disciplinary issues or mental health issues. I mean, they're just like the rest of us. They're broken people. And until you come at it from that perspective, you're never going to have a really deep functional relationship with them. Yeah, you can't. Empathy is is empathy and stories, and they go hand in hand. Are are very very important to our communication in our society. One of the most powerful things. And and families, we all and it's it's somewhat cliche. Everyone's got their problems, but it's true. I think technology these days. You know, we talked about being a little bit more modern with technology. Technology is always going to improve, and it's going to make us be more efficient from a task perspective. But internally, the human body really. And I don't have empirical research on this, but internally is very, very similar from what the way the human mind works and the way emotions affect how we make decisions has not really changed that much in all the research that I've done. So understanding that no matter who you're talking to is vitally important. So then let's apply that to this new company, the new platform and incorporate into how you want to work with families and maybe discuss what that journey looks like from 
you know, selecting the right, it sounds like, you know, there are clients that are right for you and then there are clients that are not right for you. Mm -hmm. How do you go from that selection, screening, relationship building process to onboarding, to implementing, to execution, to growing alongside each other? Well, to me, it seems really easy. And I don't mean that in an arrogant type of way, but we used to serve 1,700 families in our previous role. And it was very hard to do that, to be honest with you. And we didn't. We really, there's no way you could have. With our team of six at its max, there was just no way to really provide that type of service. Now, it's much easier for us to do that, not in a technical perspective, but just easier us to wrap our hands around all the, the, the communication that we have. So the way that we do it, I'd say primarily is asking two specific questions that seem to spark conversation that enables us to A, identify if that is a good fit. And then B, if we do know it's a good fit, then we can go, then we can immediately go down the road that, you know, we can immediately tackle the empathetic type of stuff that you're talking about to understand what's most important. So the first question is, what is most important to your family and its legacy? Where do you want your influence to go and what do you want it to do? Like, so what's most important? And then the second question is, is how good is your internal communication in your family? Is this the conversation that I'm having with you, Mr. and Mrs. Patriarch? How much is this conversation going to resonate with the other people in your family? And if they say, great, we're all on the same page, to be honest with you, it throws up some red flags to me because like you said, every family's got it. Not everyone's always on the same page. If they say, well, we're not sure, that's why we want you, you know, that's why we're considering hiring you, then it's usually a really good answer because then we understand that and we have the experience working with families to be able to facilitate that communication. So we got to understand what's most important to them first, and then they have to be able to communicate that message to one another. And it seems like, you know, based on what you're saying and the website, there's kind of three stools to this underlying this, this platform, mm-hmm. which is being that fiduciary understand the impact and the vision that family has mm-hmm. and then being aligned on the on from a fee perspective. Yes. Could you maybe kind of go through the, those three elements and, and why you've highlighted them? Yes, absolutely. So uh, you're looking at if you're looking at a website on the left side of that section there, the fiduciary concept is so important. And like I said, we want to educate people to understand what that truly means. And I would like to say or wish hope that someday that's just a given in our industry that everyone will be a fiduciary and everyone understands what that is. And there's, but to be honest with you, you, let's say you're someone who's not licensed in our industry to actually give advice. You can give all the advice you want and not get it and not get in any trouble. And so that's always going to be important. So that's the first thing we lead with. We want to make sure that everyone understands what our role is because there's confusion around that. So educate about that. Then you talked about the positive impact. Then we want people to know, if we're on the same page as you, and if we're acting in a fiduciary nature, then number two, we want to know what that impact is that you want to make, what's most important. And then the third step, we want to be extremely transparent with our fees and how that all works, because it doesn't make sense, in our opinion, to provide a service without clarification on is there actually financial value to you, because it's what we do. And can everything be measured in finance? No, but we are providing a service and you deserve to know exactly what the cost is and how that's going to affect you. I mean, I agree with all of it. <laughs> What's the vision? What's the end game for you in terms of your relationships and growing those relationships moving forward? Where do you see this going? I'm, I'm glad you asked that question because I, and I just mentioned about being full transparency and I, I, I want to make it clear, we are a brand new organization. Stacy and I, my business partner, are the owners of the organization 
we have 27, almost 28 years experience working in the industry, but we don't have any experience running a business because we've never had to do some of those things. So our vision is to right now to keep a very, very small amount of relationships because we want to go a mile deep with an, at an inch wide. We used to be a mile wide with 1700 families and an inch deep. So our short-term vision will get you, will get us to the long-term vision. Our short-term vision is serve a handful of families as best as we possibly can learn and grow in public transparently and honestly with how the business is running. And then in the future, we're going to expand. We want to teach this model. We want to educate this model and be able to provide this level of service to more families. And we're going to need to hire people to do that. But we also need to make people understand because right now in the family office space, I don't know, Brian, you may have some statistics on this, but what's the average family net worth that is, you know, you should be looking at air quotes here, family office services. I don't know, but I think we can make that, we can lower that average, to be honest with you. I think more people can get better service, more families in the future. So we want to be able to educate people to do that. It's interesting when I first, I I grew up comfortable, but certainly not in the family office realm, Mm -hmm. but I married into a family of affluence. And when I first started going to conferences and understanding what the hell a family office was, because I had no idea, rule of thumb was like, 100 million of assets to be a single family office. Mm-hmm. And I think now with how the world has changed and how costs have gone up and, and just the expense, et cetera, I really think it's more like 250 to 500 nowadays to do it right. And that's where you've seen the burgeoning multifamily office or independent RIA platforms can really serve a nice niche for a lot of families of, of massive affluence, but just mm-hmm. maybe not of enough means to execute correctly. Cause I think what people misunderstand is, you know, you need the culture and the vision and the purpose-driven concept to, in my mind, to be a family office, but also you have to realize that you're starting a small business and, and you may not want to be in that world, right? Like there are just because you had a liquidity event or you have a successful operating company doesn't mean you're going to be a successful wealth management, asset management firm. And that's essentially what you're trying to do. And so in my opinion, there's a lot of families that should look towards other alternatives because it's a lot of stress and work and time and money to start a small business in America today, especially in the financial services space. Yeah, absolutely. So I'm right with you. I, our, our vision is to be able to fill that void. to be the, and, we are, and we are. We're doing it. But there's so many more. The, the, in that realm, in that area of the spectrum, there's millions of families that fit that that need. And so I I do believe strongly that there's a need there. You don't need to be a $250 million family to need some of those services and some of those advanced planning techniques. And you're still very, very busy at that level. It's not that the people, most of the families and organizations that we've worked with over the years, they have the capacity, they have the intelligence level, they have the desire, they just don't have the time to commit to building another business like you're talking, essentially growing another business like you're talking about and still chasing after the dreams and things and being good stewards of the resources like I mentioned earlier. And we don't use the term clients, by the way. I want to bring this up too. Nothing wrong with the term clients. It's not derogatory, no criticism of it, but we use the word partners. So the families that we work with, they're our partners because we want to partner in their mission. So in order to help them do that, we got to make sure that we take the stresses off their plate that they don't need to deal with so that they can be 
as effective as possible in chasing that mission. Well, Bob, this has been terrific. I'm glad we got it down. We had a false start earlier due to some travel complications, but this <laughs> has been awesome. And I think, you know, you're thinking about it completely the right way. If people are interested in connecting with you to learn more about the new firm or just want to learn more about your focus, what's the best way for them to get in touch with you? I'm on all the social platforms if you want to connect with me personally, at BDEPA, B-D-E-P-A, Twitter, Instagram, best places. Our company site is initiateimpact.com. So you can also find other links, anything out there, initiateimpact.com. We have an ebook for about the modern virtual family office. You can check that out. It's free and gather information. We love to talk. We love to have these conversations. So reach out. And what about your own personal book? What's the deal with that? Oh, yeah. So the book, you can catch the book either on the socials, as I mentioned, or my website, bobdpesquale.com. And the book, the title of the book, working title, I'm actually haven't finalized the title yet, but right now tentatively calling it, I don't know when the interview is going to come out, but personal finance in a public world. And it's about how technology and psychology and social media and the things that we take in to consume these days how they affect our, our money decisions. And so it's to help you make really healthy habits. Around that, pre-orders will be coming out soon. And I'm taking a, I'm getting a beta reader cohort, but people can participate in reading the book pre-launch and can kind of contribute and help out and, and provide some feedback for me. So that's the book. Put me on the list, man. I'd love to check it out. I'd love to get <laughs> awesome. a look at it. And so Bob, thanks so much for joining us. It's been awesome. Definitely encourage people to follow you on, uh, we're connected on LinkedIn. You put some great content out there and that's how we met actually. So best of luck growing the firm and and look forward to staying in touch and thank you for coming on to the show. Awesome, Brian. Love what you guys are doing at Colloquium and I really appreciate it. Thanks, Bob. Thank you for joining the conversation on Colloquium. If you enjoyed what you heard in this episode, please like, rate, or leave us a review. And stay tuned for our next episode coming soon. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 